Welcome back to another episode of Lost in the Catacombs. I'm your host, as always, Josh, the leader of your favorite extreme music podcast. This is episode 21, and what an episode it is. Thank you to everyone, whether you are a new listener or an old listener. It's all the same appreciation from me, but can't thank you all enough for tuning in. We do have another great episode for you today. Last week's episode was awesome, so if you didn't check that one out, we had Horrendous and Starer on the show, so if you missed out on that one, go back and check it out. Two great interviews, but yeah, we have two great interviews on the show today, one with a legendary death metal band and the other with a great up-and-coming black metal project that we will introduce a little bit later. As always, let's first dive into some housekeeping and get that out of the way so we can dive headfirst into today's show. I want to remind everyone to follow me on my socials on Twitter at Catacombs Media, on Instagram at Lost Catacombs Media. Do a simple search on Facebook for Lost in the Catacombs and give us a follow there. And also, if you dig album reviews or Q&As with bands, Subscribe to my Substack for free at lostinthecatacombs.substack.com. Recently threw up a review of the new Cryptopsy record and the new Fossilization record. So check that out. Again, it is absolutely free. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out at lostinthecatacombspodcast at gmail.com. And always, I like to remind everyone to follow or subscribe wherever they listen to podcasts. So you get the episodes immediately when they drop and you don't miss out. And that also helps me out. And again, leave a five-star review if you do dig the show. That's the easiest way to support the podcast. 
Also, we are supported by Gurgling Gore, the death metal slash grindcore slash gore grind distro slash label. Check them out at gurglinggore.com. And if you find anything you like, use the code LOST at checkout for 15% off. As always, thanks to Gurgling Gore for supporting the show. All right, now that we have that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into our weekly news segment. First up, I would be remiss if I did not lead with this. We do have a new album from Tomb Mold dropping this Friday. Yes, as you are listening to this podcast, there is a new Tomb Mold record out. It was a surprise announcement earlier this week. It is called The Enduring Spirit. And of course, that is being released on 20 bucks spin. I've had the privilege of listening to the promo version of this record before it came out, and I've listened to it a few times at this point, and it's just absolutely phenomenal. I cannot express how great this record is. It's going to be hard to top it for me this year in terms of death metal. I loved the new fossilization record. That's going to be up there as well, but I think these two are going to be battling it out, man. It's I can't put into words how great of an album it is. You'll have to experience it yourself. So after you listen to this, go listen to that new Tomb Mold record. Absolutely insane. Such a surprise, and what a pleasant surprise it was. Also, we have a new Watain live album coming out to commemorate their 25th anniversary as a band. According to Lamgoat, the Swedish black metal collective Watain has announced the release of a live album titled Die in Fire, Live in Hell, Agony and Ecstasy over Stockholm, which will be released on November 3rd, 2023 through Nuclear Blast Records. You can pre-order that now. And according to the official press release, it says, After 25 years of madness and mayhem that manifested in seven studio albums, Watain's intense and much-talked-about live rituals remain in a league of their own. Experience the raw power and fiery precision captured perfectly on this live recording from a sold-out show that took place in October 2022 in Stockholm. Along those same lines, the famed Exhumed will release a 25-year anniversary deluxe reissue of their legendary debut album, Gore Metal. It's fully remastered audio of the original mix, and Gore Metal now features expanded artwork, live tracks, and liner notes. The 25th anniversary edition of Gore Metal is streaming in full right now, and physical pre-orders are out for the October 27th release on LP and cassette. You can pre-order that via Relapse Records. And that is according to Lamgoat. All right, now that we have some news out of the way, let's introduce our first guest of the day. First up, we are joined by Matt from the legendary death metal band Cryptopsy. Their new record, As Gamora Burns, is out right now via Nuclear Blast Records. Such a phenomenal record. It blends together all of the eras of Cryptopsy. And as you'll hear Matt talk about in the interview, he feels the same way. And he also goes into some of the trials and tribulations he endured when he first joined the band um, around 15 years ago at this point. So... 
it was very interesting to hear him talk about that and just talking about the recording process for As Gamora Burns and some of the themes which are very hard-hitting that are found on the record. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy this interview with Matt from Cryptopsy. But as always, let's go ahead and first listen to a clip from the record. This song is called Praise the Filth. The 10 years, you mentioned the tomes, right? So the tomes in our mind were going to allow us to put music out faster and quicker to our fans. Uh, that way we could tour more and just be more contact with people. But it, it turns out that it took us just as much time to write the tomes that it would have as to write a full-length record. So we did tour a lot and we put out two EPs. Um, we did a whole non vile tour cycle. It, it took some time and I'm glad that it took some time because it allowed us to mature and to ripen uh, to the state of uh, where this era of cryptopsy is now uh, to uh, release the material that's become Asgamora Burns. Because uh, had we started the writing process for Asgamora Burns back in 2015, instead of doing the Book of Suffering, it would have been a very different record. And myself personally was in a very different state uh, musically, and my voice was in a different position. So, so. I'm happy it took 10 years because uh, I feel like I'm, I'm finally having fun as the vocalist of Cryptopsy and I probably wasn't having fun 10 years ago. So when the full length was announced, I remember just seeing on social media and everything, just people were like, oh my God, like another full length Cryptopsy record. It's, it's been so long, but was it humbling to see that response from people that they were that excited? And obviously waiting that long, you're going to be excited for anything, but it's always there, right? That you know, people didn't forget. It's it's obviously super cool to have people that uh, follow the band and, and support the band after so many years, after so many left turns to have a fan base that still follows us. There's so many eras of Cryptopsy, and that means there's so many eras of Cryptopsy fans. There are some fans that love all the eras of Cryptopsy, but typically some people just latch on to their era and they love it, and to have them still be around and supporting the band after 30 years is is a beautiful thing. We're very, very, very lucky and we appreciate everyone that's ever supported Cryptopsy. And the to, to, you know, we've been working on the album for so long and here we are a week away from finally unveiling it. It sort of feels surreal at this point because it's you have like this baby that's yours that you you 
you don't even show your friends, you know, unless they come to your house because you're afraid that it's going to leak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's like, can I send a, I'm going to send Chris Kells the, 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 the tracks for the music video. And we're like, should we do that? <laughs> what if it leaks? I'm like, but he needs the songs to make the music. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy time to live in. Is it still, like, this is a, a kind of a funny question, but like when you look back on, you know, None So Vile and how big of an impact that had on like the death metal genre, it was such a unique record. And I don't think anybody had really, you know, particularly heard anything like that before in terms of death metal back in the 90s. Um, do you remember hearing that record for the first time? And what was your overall, you know, perception of it? Oh, so see, I think I have such a different relationship with Cryptopsy because I wasn't, it's not that Mark Wahlberg rock star movie where I'm in the crowd and Lord Worm throws me the mic and I take over. <laughs> That's not the relationship I had with the band. Uh, the first time I heard None So Vile was most probably uh, when I was trying to learn the songs because I got the gig. That's honestly probably, and I didn't listen to it as a listener perspective it was a how the fuck am i going to do this how can i do this how am i going to figure out what he's saying and match them to these grunts like because the words are beautifully poetic but there's four syllables here it sounds like he's doing four so i had that more perspective of none so vile i've had a much different perspective since performing it in 2017 when we did that and then learning all the songs that gave me a much different closer relationship to the album and a, a deep appreciation for the material because it's there's a reason why people love it and there's a reason why we perform the majority of our set consists of songs from none so vile because they're bangers <laughs> hey. uh, but the you know the, the, the melody the groove aspects the aggressiveness of the aggressivity how aggressive it is uh just unrelenting while being super catchy and that's that's what's important about it and lord worm's delivery is just insane i've heard so many stories about the recording of it uh flow being super sick i think or either for that one or for um blasphemy made flesh i think it's blasphemy made flesh actually that he was super sick but lord worm walked in for none so vile and i've heard this story from people that were there and he walked into the booth and he had uh, a bottle of scotch or something like that. And he tracked all the vocals in one day and the bottle was finished. <laughs> so, so in like five hours, smashed through none so vile. That so it's a amazing. classic album. And uh, the band, when Lord Worm left the band, uh, when he came back for once was not, he was unaware as to how popular the band and that album specifically had become. He, wow. he had no idea. It's yeah. pretty incredible. When it comes to As Gamora Burns, do you still get nervous in the weeks leading up to a record release and maybe how people are going to react to it? I know you hear a lot of musicians or bands say, like, we don't care what people say. We do this for us. You have a lot of full links and records under your belt now. Do you still get nervous or do you still feel that pressure? Or, you know, how do you operate when it comes to, you know, record release week and that pending new album? Well, there's, there's definitely always a little bit of apprehension, especially with my relationship with Cryptopsy fans. My first release uh, was a disaster, and people, it leaked, funny enough, it's the, the thematic of uh, the conversation so far. Uh, it leaked, and people destroyed 
my performance on it and the actual the album in itself and i've listened to it about a month ago a few weeks ago at this point and being a much more immersed person in the relationship with cryptopsy i definitely agree that it's far from being the best cryptopsy record uh, but we also have a lot of stuff going on this week, such as uh, getting ready for tour. We're going on the Carnival of Death tour starting, and we're leaving Wednesday. So there's a lot of stuff going on, which is also keeping me busy and my mind busy as to what's going to happen on Friday. So we're confident uh, that we like the material, and we're very proud of the material. But we are confident that uh, the Cryptopsy fans from all the eras will appreciate something in Asgamora Burns. We built the record as an homage to the previous legacies while trying to keep it relevant and new. So I'm excited to see what everyone says. And I'm hoping that uh, this new age of uh, young death metal fans that are out there right now following bands like Undeath, Frozen Soul, I hope that they come onto the Cryptopsy ship and enjoy some of this Asgamor Burns too. Man, I hope so too, because death metal is so much better with cryptopsy in it and when we have new full-length cryptopsy records so i'm super stoked and like you said kind of building off that you know answer or response i've said this before and i don't know if this would make people angry but just looking at it from an objective point of view death metal might be bigger than it's ever been i think it is i i literally just said that in the previous interview it's it's the year of death metal 2023 i don't know why and what happened Resurgences happen all the time. You're seeing it with new metal right now, too. It's very, very exciting to have a year where Cannibal Corpse, Dying Fetus, and Cryptopsy Cataclysm are all dropping records. It's it's a big year for death metal. And then those young generations that are just packing rooms right now, these bands that, that I've been following for a few years now, thanks to the podcast and having Jerry Monk curate my playlists for me and he's constantly feeding me the bands that have the buzz of what's going on right now and he's it's so exciting to see young death metal heads coming to shows and showing up and rediscovering the classics it's it's a cool time to be in the death metal band yeah it's just it's so cool to see you know the the deicide box sets coming back out with those first four deicide records morbid angel did something like that too with like cassettes and yeah, like you said, man, it just kind of feels like, obviously I was very young in the 90s, so I don't really recall, you know, that first wave of, you know, the, the Florida scene of death metal. So I can only go by what I hear and kind of what I see, but death metal is just everywhere right now. There are so many great death metal bands and it's not just, you know, secluded to one part of the country. Like you said, Undeath, New York, yeah, New York with Undeath, um, you know, Texas with frozen soul and uh creeping death you know it's just they're everywhere and maybe this is partially a philosophical question but why do you think it's the resurgence of you know things like death metal new metal that stuff is kind of coming back i know they say everything always comes back in fashion but yeah i don't i i i think it's just kids that grew up listening to these bands are now old enough to start playing is probably what's happening it's it's Kids that grew up with parents that were listening to extreme music are now old enough to make their own music. So what are they going to gravitate towards? A newer version of something that they appreciated when they're young is really the, the closest thing that I can see to it. I'm just happy that Cryptopsy has a longevity to still be here to hit that second wave. I think that's something that's cool and commendable uh, for Flo's persistence to keep doing this for so long and to keep... Uh, persevering alongside us, us being the longest running Cryptopsy lineup. 
I think it's it's really really cool and interesting. Uh, we're just going to ride the wave and enjoy it uh, right now, and who knows where it's going to go. But I'm I'm excited to build new tour packages with these with these young new bands. I think I think they're awesome and they're super cool, uh, nice people. I've met a bunch of them, and they're all just huge Cryptopsy fans and are excited. They're, I think even themselves, they don't understand what's happening right now. They're just riding the wave. I never even thought of that. That it's like those parents that were around in that first wave of death metal or having kids that are getting into it now. Because when I look back, I'm like, yeah, my dad got me into like ACDC, Metallica, Kiss and all those bands. And I'm like, that's what I first fell in love with, with music. And now you have these kids that their dad's probably listening to. I don't know. Altars of Madness, which is crazy to think. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Or like I, with the podcast, I always ask what your parents listen to. Cause I think it's such a, a it paints like a, the soundtrack of your youth is the question that I always ask. It like paints a picture of a person's household. Uh, and so many of them tell me, oh, you know, I grew up listening to new metal. My, my parents listened to new metal. And then here they are now playing in a hardcore band or something. So it's like we always want to take what our parents had and then make it more extreme. For the longest time, anything with a solo in it, I didn't like because it, it, made, it reminded me of my father because my dad was into Metallica and stuff like that. So anything, anything with a solo, I was like, that's old music. I, I, I need something new. So new metal had no solos. So that worked out really well for me. And then for a long time, it took me a long time to get, <laughs> finally I got a train of thought uh, from Dream Theater. And that's when I, I started to have a bit more appreciation for soloing. So you kind of have those questions that you like to ask. And there's a few that I like to ask as well. And the one being, can you pinpoint the time when you first fell in love with music and knew that this was something you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I was in the car with my dad, for sure. Him showcasing um, Guns N' Roses and uh, sitting there waiting for my mom to get off the train and him showing me Coma and talking about, it's such a weird track. Yeah, that and the very whole, underrated. Sh- shocking him back to life. Moments like that and then listening to Queen in the backseat of my dad's car, going down on a vacation in, uh, to Maine when I was in sixth grade. And then imagining myself being Freddie Murky, Mer- Freddie Murky, <laughs> Freddie Mercury, Freddie Murky. That, that, that's actually a good band name. There you go. <laughs> uh, stepping out onto stage and, uh, and like being there when he goes to me and like that moment. I, I always wanted to be a singer. I sang when I was a kid. Um, I always had a big place in, for music in my heart. I consumed a lot of music. I Joining a band in high school was such a pivotal moment in my life. I finally had like my own identity. I was always very shy and weary of older people. Old, even if they were like two years older than me, they were like so much cooler than me something that I had a hard, hard time with in high school until finally I joined a band with people that were older than me and that really helped craft my my identity in the high school. And then we play the high school show, you know, and then everyone knows you as like, oh, Matt's the singer. And it just built from there, one band to another band, to a bigger band, to a bigger band, to finally I was in Three Mile Scream. And then Cryptopsy picked me up. Looking back, and I know you mentioned this, and I had this on my list of questions to ask you anyway, but you said the response to that first record you were on, the response wasn't what you imagined and wasn't 
to no, put no, it lightly. It was, my big, it, was my, it was my big shot. I was so excited. Yeah. Here I was, Century Media, Three Mile Scream. We, we worked for, I, at that point, I was in Three Mile Scream for five, six years at that point, And we were hustling. We would jam four times a week. We were doing little mini tours. I had gotten signed to Corporate Punishment, which was a subsidiary of Universal here in Canada. Uh, it was the big thing. We were so excited. I was doing mini tours. And then here we are. I get the opportunity to join a massive, massive Canadian band. And I was like, okay, well, this is going to help Three Mile Scream, so I'm going to do it. And then a massive flop. It was, uh, it was really hard on the ego. Uh, it took me... It's probably the, a good thing that happened to me. Probably crushed uh, uh, an overzealous young 24-year-old Matt McGacky that was probably a bit too cocky. <laughs> <laughs> sort of just mm, put me right in my place. And it took me many, many, many years to recuperate from the unspoken king. But I'm glad that it happened because it allowed me to grow as a human, to, to have that get back up when you're punched down yeah. and uh, fight it out and prove that you are worthy to be in Cryptopsy. And I feel like it's taken a long, long, long time for me to feel comfortable. As a vocalist Cryptopsy, I hit some hiccups here and there. And one of the consequences of me trying to prove myself to everyone was that I switched vocal techniques for the self-titled and I started doing a very tunnel voice fry as deep as I possibly... I thought it was as deep. It was like the deepest voice I could make. And I used that for a vast majority of my career. And I think it was actually a detriment to my performances because uh, it w sort of just locked me into this very tight vo mouth position that made enunciating very difficult. And then recently I've switched to a brand new technique where I'm much more open, uh, much more, let's say, corpse grinder approach to vocals of fry, uh, a false chord scream, sorry, of just pure air, which is what I was doing with Three Mile Scream. So it's interesting that I like, by trying to prove myself and to prove to all of the Cryptopsy fans across the globe that I was really brutal, I sort of locked myself in a, in a, in a corner. And uh, just recently now I've like unlocked myself and I'm performing at a much more comfortable um, vocal ability and range than I ever have before. And I'm finally having fun with Cryptopsy. We attract vocals. Uh, over a year ago now, which is funny, it's so long ago, uh, for the record. And I was just, we were having so much fun. And I'm finally having fun with Cryptopsy, but it took many, many, many years. And, uh, you know, 16 years to be in a band and to have that stick to itism is something that I'm proud of. And I put the work in. And um, we're at, right now, here we are, as Gamora Burns with a brand new, brand new voice, brand new look on my career with the band. And we're going on tour on, on Wednesday. Here we go. You can tell you're a podcaster because I knew you knew where I was going with that question. I was going to ask what you learned about yourself and you answered <laughs> it right there. I was going to ask, you know, what you learned about yourself going through such a tough time where well, there were these you. expectations. Yeah. And yeah. you said, you know, it just showed that you had that perseverance to keep going, which. Yeah. I, I stick with stuff. I'm a person yeah. like that. I've been with my wife for 21 years. Congrats. Life is not easy. And you have to, you have to put the work in to make things work. And, and it's easy to run away from things in life but you're not going to learn and or grow if you do that. So I'm happy that the band supported me throughout everything. They were always extremely supportive. I have to say that for sure. Then no matter what happened, the band was super supportive and I appreciate that. And I thank them for that. Uh, they were patient for me to be a good death mode vocals. <laughs> well, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> they, they always said I was good. They were always good. Man. You're always, they said, I, was good. <laughs> well, I'll keep, I know I'm better now. Well, I'll keep that in mind because I get married in a month and four days and hearing that you've been 
married for 21 years, it's just sticking through it, man. Right. Just sticking through it. And you know, sometimes it's best just not to say anything. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've learned that along the way that I am usually, I'm usually wrong. I'm usually the one that's wrong. So, uh, it's important to, 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 sometimes it's best to say that. Yeah, that's funny. But, um, you know, what do you think you'd be doing today if it weren't for music? I know you have your podcast, but yeah, which we can talk but a I probably bit about. Wouldn't have, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have started Vox and Hops. Uh, Vox and Hops, I started in 2018. I have over 400 episodes at this point, um, five years. Um, talk about my life in metal with fellow metal musicians while drinking craft beer, which is a big passion of mine. Uh, I would probably, if, and there's a, real, there's a moment, and there's a, the moment that changed my life, and I was with him on Tuesday night. He works for Audio Technica now, who endorsed the band and the podcast. Uh, Mike Marino called me, and I remember being in my parents' basement. I was in a band, and the band broke up, and it was the end of the world, as relationships when you're young tend to be. And I just cocooned, and I did nothing. I did nothing musically for 10 months, I want to say. And then Mike Marino called me and brought me, and I joined Through Mouse Screen. And that was the moment. And had Mike Marino not called me, I would have hypothetically never sang or played in the band again. What would I be doing? I'd probably do my day job, which is I'm an early childhood educator. I work with young children um, under five years old in daycares. I'd probably be doing that, honestly. I'd still be with Jessica because we we have stick to itism. Um, but that would be it, probably, honestly. And it's it's really Mike Marino. And I told him, I said, I told him on Tuesday, and he's like, ah, rah. no, but it's it's, it's true. Going into Vox and Hops, when you started that, did you think it was going to be something that people would want to tune into? And did you think it would be something that would last 400 episodes? No, no. And I started it to keep myself busy. There's a reason I started Vox and Hops. I was uh, scared of being jealous is, is really why I started Vox and Hops. Um, Ollie, my bassist, uh, had told me that he was joining Cattle Decapitation. Uh, Chris's studio is killing it. It has been for years. So he's super busy. And then Flo <laughs> comes to me and he says, I think we found the new singer for my new band there uh, with Rune. Uh, yeah, da you know, David Vincent there from Morbid Angel. And I was like, oh, shit. I, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got to I got to find something, something that's me, something that could be my thing. And I did a, I had a, I was on a sabbatical. I started listening to podcasts on my sabbatical from work while being home with my daughter. And I just sort of fell in love with the format and the medium and my wife and I, who she produces the podcast and we went out to dinner and she helped me think through the project. And she always helps me think my ideas through and make them better. And we came up with the name that night. We came up with the concept and then I just did some research, how, how to start a podcast <laughs> basically. And then I started having conversations with my friends and the first hundred episodes were just me hanging out with my friends in bars backstage. Uh, a tour package would come through the city and I would go and I'd one by one take members from different bands and walk them to uh, Cybuck, which is a really cool bar here on St. Anthony Street in Montreal. That would give me free beer, which is why I bought it. Shout out to Vicky and uh, the St. Buck crew for hooking that up for me many years ago. Uh, and then eventually publicists discovered me and then I started doing a bunch of interviews during the pandemic via publicists. And now I'm at a point where I'm pulling away from publicists again, and I'm just having conversations with my friends. It's, 
it's fun. It's a, I, the podcast allowed me to level up in so many ways. I used to like doing interviews, but I was always like, as you're talking, you're like thinking and you're like, what am I saying? Yeah. I get that. And that sometimes. fear comes in. Uh, I, that's gone now. I'm lucky with the podcast. That's gone. <laughs> There's a moment happens, but I know it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite moment that's happened on the podcast so far or maybe a favorite guest? Ooh, there's a few key moments. The one year anniversary party where I had Lord Worm come and we hosted it at the awesome, house. Yeah. And it was my first beer collab. One of my first beer collabs. Uh, my first beer collab, no, I think it was actually, uh, was served that night from Nefak Matal. It was a little bit green that IPA. <laughs> it got better over time. <laughs> but uh, that, that was a key moment, having Dan come and just be so goddamn cool. I had set up the chairs to be facing with the crowd. This way, that way, like we're concentrated on our, on our conversation. And when Dan sh- showed up before um, the public was there, he, he turned his chair towards the public, and I was like, "Oh shit, okay, we're in for a show." And he he definitely put on a show. Other key moments is when I got accepted to go do media at uh, Festival de Bière de Chambly, which is actually what I'm going to do after this, which is super cool. Um, it's a very cool beer fest here in Montreal. And that's when I met face-to-face a bunch of breweries and brewers and owners of breweries. And I made friends that day, which is basically four years ago today. And uh, I'm still friends with them now. And I've made collabs with them. That was another key moment. Another very, very key moment was intro- I did an interview with J.F. Michaud. Uh, J.F. Michaud is uh, one of the main dudes at Heavy Montreal which uh, was a big metal festival here in Montreal. And he works for Avenco, which is a part of Live Nation. And he has been behind the podcast ever since that day. I sat down with him at Harry Canna, which is an awesome brewery here in Montreal. And um, he just loved the interview. And then he, he's been championing me and the podcast since then, introduced me all the top people at Avenco, got me media passes to do heavy Montreal press, uh, everyone else was going to see shows. I was there for two days. I conducted 18 interviews. It just sat in the media tent and crushed content the whole weekend. And then the pandemic hit. And then after that, uh, Heavy Montreal started presenting Vox and Hops episodes. And then from that relationship, I built my own festival here in Montreal called Brutal Montreal, where um, I choose all the craft beer that's there. I pick the lineups uh, or it's evolved into like tour packages flipping into a brutal event. It's, it's pretty freaking awesome. Uh, it's very, very cool. Uh, that relationship that I've had. Definitely. Those are the key moments in the podcast for myself. So when did your love for craft beer really kind of launch? Well, I always liked beer. I was always like someone that liked the drinks and drinking is fun. I think it fell into the me being such an introvert. And then when I drink, I would be a little bit more social um, 2014, I think I discovered there's a really, there's a few like key pivotal beers in my beer journey. I moved to Montreal in 2009. We'll start there. And I would buy a 12 pack of St. Ambroise mixed beers because there was a peach, oh no, sorry, apricot ale in it. And my wife <laughs> wouldn't get upset at me for buying a 12 pack. <laughs> because I, I thought of her, you know, I thought of her, look, there's three beers for you. And then I would crush the other nine, you know, but in that pack, there was um, a pale ale, um, which is, it has like a gold label on it, which is actually what I served at my marriage. Uh, and uh, I fell in love with this like soapy, hoppy taste. And I, from there, just trying new beers, Le Castal's Yakima IPA was a big one in my, in my beer journey. 
And then it just, it just IPAs, IPAs, the haze craze took off here in Quebec. And it was just one tasting thing after another until eventually now I've released over 80 collabs in five years. It's pretty, it's a pretty cool uh, little life in Denver. Awesome, man. I cannot recommend Vox and Hops enough. It's such a great podcast and really kind of, oh, I think kind of has a lot of influence on me diving into the podcasting game too. I just love conversations, right? Just, I don't like anything that's, I guess, too professional, right? I like free flowing conversations. So it's really cool. And I highly recommend it to anybody who is listening to this interview. And if you haven't heard it, I'm sure you have, but uh, well, I think it's pretty it's big. Very nice but very, very, very nice yeah. of you. I have a big plans for my five-year anniversary. Well, there you go. Um, awesome. I can't announce yet, but we're doing a big party at Mutaid, and I'm releasing five beers, and I booked two guests from an amazing Quebec band. Oh, awesome. The the, the biggest Quebec metal band, which I will not say, but you know I'm Yeah, about. yeah. Okay, so I don't want to spoil it, but okay, as Gamora Burns, I want to dive into that a little bit. I know that's what we're here to talk about. I know we talked about you, but as Gamora Burns, I know you said it is a not a nod, but it does take from all of the different eras of Cryptopsy. There are those hints of every era on there. When you say that, what do you mean exactly? What can people hear oh, in yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Well, we wanted to put little shimmers of each record, each era. So, so when I think about the first era of Cryptopsy being Blasphemate Flesh, None So Vile, and you could say ungentle too, obviously, um, is the catchy melodies in the riffs, the earworm melodies in the lead riffs, especially on It's a Vile, and the grooviness and the fact that sections repeat more often. So that's definitely what we wanted to take from, be inspired, uh, honor from the first era of Cryptopsy on Asgamora Burns. The second era of Cryptopsy being that of Whisper Supremacy and Asgamora Burn, uh, sorry, Whisper Supremacy and, and Then You'll Beg is the chaoticness, controlled chaos, just all over the place. I know that Chris really, 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 really loves Whisper Supremacy, and it's that chaoticness that he, it's all over the place. It's absolute insanity, but controlled insanity. So we wanted to mix that with the grooviness, with repeating sections a little bit longer, with super catchy lead melodies and add a new element to it, which is something that we're sprinkling into this pot, is um, darkness. And darkness not as black metal, because a lot of extreme metal bands are now mixing death metal and black metal. That's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to make you feel dirty. We wanted to bring a malaise <laughs> to Cryptopsy's music, a more darkness akin to what neurosis brings. Mm, okay. We want you to feel bad and sad while having the technicality, the chaoticness, the controlled chaos, the grooves, the catchy lead melodies, and sections that repeat a little bit longer. Even now, we're discussing, because we're getting ready for the tour, we're like, I think we can make things repeat just even a little bit longer next time, just, just to, to allow the fans to, to catch on to something a little bit more. Something that, we, we, you know, with this new era of... Um, young generation of death metal heads that are coming to going to be coming to our gigs. Some of the people for a first time listener, cryptopsy can be very intense and hypothetically they like it, but there's, they don't have anything that they can like sink their teeth into and appreciate on a first time. Listen, cryptopsy is a band that you have to listen to a few times to catch all the, 
the intricacies of what goes into a cryptopsy track. So we wanted to give people something that they could bite their teeth into. So a first time listener will have something to be like, oh, I understand what's going on. That was a goal as well. So it's a, it's a big honoring of everything that was built before while trying to stay relevant and adding that malaise darkness to it. Do you look at this as the, I don't know, in, I don't want to say this because Cryptopsy has such a, you know, a legendary status with the, within the death metal genre, but do you look at this as more of a, I guess, with the resurgence of death metal, do you look at this as a, a new introduction to Cryptopsy? It, it could be for people, and I would hope that it is, and I feel like it's a good record for that to be the case. Um, the songs are extreme and intense, but they're also crafted in a way that they're somewhat accessible, which is something that we we aspired to do, something that... So we're hoping that, that yes, new first-time listeners, these young kids listen to it, and there's, they're like, oh, like they probably have heard the name, they've heard Nuns Vile for sure, but maybe they didn't hear the Book of Sufferings. Uh, maybe they didn't hear the self-titled. So hopefully we can catch a whole new generation of death metal fans that will have the privilege of going back into the back catalog and, and enjoying the legacy of Cryptopsy thanks to this record. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the comment you made, or part of the comment you made when the album was announced was the groove aspect of things and then also oh. learning or letting things breathe a little bit. Do you exactly. think that, that's that repetition? Yeah. yeah. Do you think that that really helped with the, as you said, like the tension building of the record, I know letting things breathe. You hear a lot of artists say that when they learn to let things breathe on a record, it really helps not just with the flow of the album, but to build those moments that are memorable and really stand out. Did you guys find that to be the case on this one? I think so. I think that we accomplished what we set out to do. Um, we shall see if it actually works with the public <laughs> in the next few days. I'm hoping that it does. And you know, you know, <laughs> here we are getting ready and practicing, playing all these new songs, and people people hate it. And then we have to go back and just play "Not So Vile" all the time. Uh, we're hoping that <laughs> no. it, we're hoping that it's not that. You know, the first show's on Thursday, so hopefully on Thursday I can answer this question a little bit more clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, no, the the. We had aspirations that letting things breathe and have the groove be there more would would lead to a more digestible song writing, you know, song consumption. What was it like, you know, writing this album during the pandemic? Do you think that if there weren't those days of just seclusion and being locked down, do you think we would have the Cryptopsy record right now? Oh, you would have had it sooner, actually. Oh, okay. the, the pandemic really, really allowed us, didn't allow us to get together. It was very difficult. We were writing in the woods when the, the pandemic was taken. It's really the lockdown started and all that. Um, and it was a real ominous experience being isolated in the woods and having your phones blowing up, your loved ones and social media was just panic. And Ollie said, I had did a round table um, episode with the full band that's gonna come out on Tuesday actually. And Ollie mentioned that he can feel it in the record, the anxiety. So that's something that the pandemic did give. It, it added to that darkness, the malaise. Uh, we wrote the ending of Praise the Filth in the cabin in under those circumstances. And who knows if it would have happened any different if we weren't presented with all the madness that was going on in the world. Uh, but the writing process was really difficult. It was uh, We were so far apart. Uh, the restrictions here in Canada were very strict for a long time. 
uh, Chris, because he had his studio, he was allowed to keep working. Um, it was, uh, it took forever. It took forever. And Chris, Chris is the one that pushed us through and made sure that Askamora Burns came to completion. It's the closest thing to an album I can say that's Chris's that, that I could say about anything that we've ever released. Now, lyrically and thematically, where did you guys take this record? I was inspired uh, after sitting down with Mike DeSalvo for an episode. He told me that the first time that he met Cryptopsy, they were called Gamora. And I was like, oh, that's a cool, I like that name. I sort of just sat in my head. And here we are 30 years later uh, with an album with that name. And it. it's pretty, pretty freaking cool. Um, I, with the podcast, I don't know how it is for yourself. I've found to become very, very addicted to social media. It's, it's a nonstop obsession of, of trying to build the podcast. You got to respond. You got to do this. You can't miss something. You got to be, and then it just, it, because of the way the medium is built, the dopamine trip, you just get more and more into it. And you can't stop. It's the way it's built. It's like, yes, we can stop, but it's built to trap you. So I took Gamora, my addiction, and I thought about the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah, about uh, how it was a utopia of knowledge and wealth and power, and uh, humans overindulged in it, and then God smited them. And I've paralleled that to that of the internet, mainly social media, and how it's a beautiful place full of amazing opportunities and technology and knowledge. Uh, and connectivity, and it's limitless, but at the same time, there's horrible things that have come to the human race because of the invention of the internet and social media specifically. So I took that concept and I ran with it. I hunted and I discovered about eight, nine topics that I wanted to um, play with underneath this concept of negative things that have happened due to the birth of the internet, such as uh, online stalkers, um, cults, um, defamation, um, bullying, um, isolations, uh, social media influencers that are extremely isolated in reality, uh, catfishing. And I just went and I found true life stories that fell into each of these categories. And then I developed them as a creative writing experiment from the perspective of one of the characters in the story. So um, I wrote from their education level so some of the some of the songs are very primitive and extremely vulgar when i'm not like that whatsoever um and i'm playing a character i'm playing around with this this universe this world that i've built within this concept so godless deceiver is the next uh, single that's coming out on friday and those lyrics are extremely extremely vicious and and very negative towards a female um victim in this story. And the story comes from a woman in Brazil who was uh, defamed and wrongfully accused by a local news site on Facebook that put up a sketch of this woman that was uh, accused of uh, stealing children, abducting children oh my God. Um, because she was a witch. So the, this there's this sketch of this woman that goes around on Facebook and the villagers say, oh, that's Maria. And then they go and they find Maria and they beat her to death. Oh my dragged God. Her around behind her. And it turns out it wasn't her at all, obviously. Um, so those lyrics are extremely simple, very vicious, uh, because I wrote from the mentality of a mob. And mobs don't have eloquent thoughts. It's very primitive directives, the whole track. So it's, it's extremely brutal. 
another track that I absolutely love the concept for is uh, Praise the Filth. And that's about, with the podcast and the beer world that I'm associated in, some people consider me to be an influencer. I don't like that word. I'm more of a beer media, which is what I'm going to go do after this conversation. I'm going to go drink some beer and take some pictures with people. Uh, so I've discovered and I've met a lot of influencers. So I wanted to play with the idea of having an influencer that is hyper popular on social media, but in all reality, she's cripplingly isolated and extremely depressed. So the whole song is basically her just depicting her isolation and how, how alone she is and how she's just not doing well, but she's still making social media posts and still showcasing everything, all the products that she has to showcase to make money. And then at the end of it, she commits suicide live with posts, like taking pictures of herself. And she's like, here's another one for all my so-called friends. Here's another one for all my foes. And she's posting pictures of herself with a bag over her head after she ate a bunch of pills. And then at the end of the song, the, the big outro, she's just on the floor and her phone is just blowing up. And that's why, and uh, as I slowly fade away, the bell keeps ringing incessantly and it's the notifications on her phone. I get goosebumps just like, Oh my, but uh, that's yeah. So, so dark, dark, dark things. Uh, The internet is a, it's a great thing. Obviously there's a lot of positive things, but the human race's relationship to social media is, is toxic. I agree. Uh, I only keep the socials going for the band and for the podcast. I've definitely downloaded my Facebook profile. Are you sure you want to delete it there? We've all been there. I didn't. And uh, I think that we need to examine our relationship. Why do we need our phone with us all the time? Why? Why is it in the bedroom with us? Why Why can't we have an alarm clock like we used to? We make up these excuses to keep social media trap on us. And another, I'm very concerned about the upcoming future and generations, kids that are growing up in social media. It's, it's very worrisome. And I think that people have an incapability of being bored nowadays. And I think that people need to be bored. If you're not bored, you can't be creative. And I feel like the human brain is no longer to just sit inactively without being stimulated by something. And that's something that worries me for future generations. So when my daughter tells me I'm bored, I'm like, good. <laughs> good. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think we're supposed to be this connected. Like, I feel like there's just this weird thing about being able to have access to everybody at every waking moment of the day that just feels so yes, and you have to respond. Yeah. Like you feel like you, feel you have bad to bad about have, yourself. I have yeah, to. I have to. I try to do nothing on the weekends for the podcast, for the band. Trying to do that as well. I try to like just disconnect, and then what always happens to me is Sunday night before going to work, I I have a crippling night of anxiety um, where I can't sleep the whole night. So. This is tied to a relationship that is toxic, which is which is a relationship to social media and that 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 weight of the work that you have to do that you put off because we're so connected to people. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's and then you're always comparing yourself to people who are at different points in their life. It's all like, the time. Yeah. Yes, you're just always and it's all fake. It's a yeah, fallacy. Yeah, we're, nobody we're showcasing the a fallacy. things about Especially their life. with the podcast. It's amazing. Yeah. When I discovered a podcast, no one sees the numbers. I was like, awesome. Let's have fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're super huge. We're super huge. <laughs> <laughs> but um, man, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know. Again, I said at the beginning of the podcast, you have a busy week, so I appreciate you doing this, but. Looking back on Asgamora Burns, do you have a favorite moment or track that you're looking forward to bringing into the live setting? Oh, yeah. yeah. Flay the Swine is a great song to play, that, that midsection. Um, I'm having so much fun performing the tracks, and uh, the way that I phrased my vocals is like on the upbeat. So I was like dancing a jam almost the other day, and Chris was like, you don't jam. You, Cryptopsy doesn't dance. <laughs> so. That's hilarious. I'm looking forward to playing that song, especially the little middle section there. It's it's a it's a groovy, groovy, awesome part. Uh, Praise the filth! I can't wait for people to hear that that outro that I explained before there with the concept there. It's just so sad and dirty. Um, those two moments are my favorite. A lot of people have been talking about the righteous loss and the little bass moment. So I can't wait. People, lots and lots of people have been talking to me about that that I've been doing press about. So I'm excited for other people to hear that section. And um, as we discussed and talked about when I wrapped up the Cryptopsy Roundtable, we want you guys to just, and people, we want people to just sit down and clear away everything, put it on a good system, good headphones, and just enjoy. 33 minutes of your life, just give us a chance. Awesome. A few quick fire questions before I let you go. These are pretty fun, so you don't have to put too much thought into it. But the first one I always like to ask, favorite horror movie? Oh, I'm so bad at these <laughs> horror. <laughs> um, I, I like a, I like the song, which is why I'm going to say there's there's a Jason movie with uh, um, with um, an Alice Cooper track in it, the man behind the mask or something. It's such a silly horror movie, but I like that one. Yeah. Favorite newer death metal band? Um, Undeath, hands down. Favorite track to perform live. Um, slit your guts because I don't have to sing (laughs) (laughs) Matt thanks so much for doing this my friend the new Cryptopsy record over a decade in the making as Gamora Burns is out September 8th go pick it up it is going to blow your mind I'm so stoked but I can't thank you enough for doing this I have been a fan for quite some time and it's really cool that you decided to do this man so thank you so much Oh, pleasure's mine. Thank you, Josh. Um, I got, I got, I got to go drink beer. It's kind. Thanks so much for checking out that interview with Matt from Cryptopsy. Again, the new record as Gamora Burns is out right now. But let's go ahead and jump into our second interview of the day with Pete from the one-man black metal project Algol. The new record, Night Eternal, is out right now. Special surprise, Pete is giving listeners of this podcast a discount code for merch on his Bandcamp. So go check that out and use the promo code CATACOMBS15 at checkout. A phenomenal record, and I cannot recommend it enough. But before we jump into the interview, as always, let's listen to a track from the record, This song is called Into Untold Evil.
started kind of just messing around recording stuff. It was like uh, probably like 2019. Um, and I was originally just kind of trying to make more like death metal oriented stuff. Um, like I really liked um, that like pre immortal project or not immortal pre emperor project. Uh, Thou shalt suffer. And like that just kind of like weird gloomy death metal with the synths and shit. Um, I was also listening to like vitriol and whatnot at that time. And like that frozen soul demo. Um, so yeah, I was trying to make some stuff like that. Uh, but I've also, you know, been more of a black metal fan for most of my life. So it kind of just developed into a more black metal sound. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of messing around with that. And then, uh, the pandemic hit and I'd actually already recorded like half of forgotten paths by like new year's 2020 or yeah, 20, yeah. The beginning of 2020. And then like right after that, all the shutdowns started happening and everything. So I had time to finish it all up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to have, uh, you know, metal project, especially like an extreme metal project. Um, I just never really like knew anybody else who could play music like that or was interested in doing it. So, um, yeah, I just, I decided to just give it a go and you know, see, see if I could do it really. That's what forgotten Pass was about. Just trying to figure out if I could pull it off, <laughs> but yeah, so made that and then have it look back. So it's been a blast. So, when did extreme metal come into the picture for you I think in your probably, life? I guess it's probably like 15. Um, and like, you know, before that I was into like more classic heavy metal stuff like iron maiden, um, motorhead and whatnot. And then, uh, I found, I found dragon force. There's a kid at school who showed it to me. Um, but it was like right before they got really big on guitar hero. It was the sonic firestorm album. And I was like, this shit is sick. And that kind of bridged the gap into, uh, you know, more extreme styles of music. I think I found like Children of Bodom shortly after that. And then, um, oh, I remember seeing um, Dimmu Borgir on some TV show. I don't even remember. But I was like, what the fuck are these guys? (laughs) All the spikes and corpse paint. And it was just like the gnarliest shit I've ever seen. and then I think the first black metal record or song I ever heard was Reptile. Um, I can't remember what album that's on, but yeah, like that first scream, dude, on that track, yeah, it was game over after that. And then I'm like, I think I spent all of sophomore year of high school trying to track down like every mayhem bootleg with dead singing on it, like just find finding torrents on like random Russian websites. And shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. And then you run into that live set with mayhem with maniac at the front where he's just all like bloody and cut up on stage. I remember YouTube. finding that on YouTube and I was like, what is yeah, this? Where, where he's playing like freezing moon and he's yeah. got like a big head on fire with like the sword. And then, uh, that and then there's also i think that was a what like vakan open air oh something like that yeah and then there's also a video of immortal i think from that year playing one by one and that was like the next tune that i like that was one of the first black metal tunes i really got into that and then uh where dead angels lie by dissection so yeah that storm of the lights bane is one that you start listening to and you're just like Okay, so this is like 
musically speaking, one of it's like the epitome of extreme metal, right? Like Storm of the Lightsbane. If you listen to that record, there's things that, and then when you take into account how young they were when they recorded that record, you look back and you're like, what? You're like, this is like, this is almost like if you were to classify this as like a painting, this would be almost the <laughs> the the Sistine Chapel or the Mona Lisa of extreme metal, so to speak. Yeah, that's that's still to this day one of my favorite records. And it, like the, one of the things I really liked with Dissection is they like had some rock and roll to them. It wasn't it wasn't even like black and roll yet. Like, but like they had some rock and roll to them in the guitar work. And then just like the guitar harmonies were always huge for me. And like, that's still something I try to emulate with my stuff. But yeah, I absolutely love that record. Um, but then like, yeah, also like you, those first couple children of Bodom re- records, like they were like 17, which is wild to me. Like I didn't <laughs> come out with anything until I was like late twenties, man. <laughs> yeah. There's something about like Swedish musicians that they just know how to perfect like these melodies. Obviously when you take into account everything that came out of there, you know, whether you're talking about um, melodic death metal with like in flames, dark tranquility, all those, like those guys just knew how to, those guys just knew how to create the perfect melodies for extreme metal. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The melodic element down. Yeah. For some reason, like, I don't know what's in the water over there, but it's pretty crazy. <laughs> I, want, I want some, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, when did you actually start playing music rather than just, I guess, just being a fan? Oh damn. I probably started playing guitar when I was like 10. Um, and I remember I had like a really shitty classical nylon stringed acoustic that I had like put skateboard stickers all over. Um, and then I eventually got, I don't know, probably when I was like 11 or 12, I got, uh, Epiphone Les Paul and a tiny little like 10 watt Marshall and figured out how to press the distortion button and I couldn't play anything, but I could at least make noise and that was cool to me, but yeah, so I started playing guitar really young, and then I, I never stopped. So I'm going on 21 years now playing guitar. And then in high school, I started kind of messing around with um, various production softwares and like learning how to do that stuff. Um, made some like electronic music for a while. It was super goofy, but super fun and definitely kind of learned my way around uh, like Logic Pro, which is what I use to produce now. But yeah, I just kind of got familiar with that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've been doing it forever. It's, it's just one of the things that I really enjoy. So so was it the Iron Maidens? Was it the, you know, the classic metal bands that really influenced you to pick up the guitar? Or was it just something you saw like in a movie and you thought it was just cool? Or, you know, what drew you to the guitar? I think, I think it was like... Uh, it's like listening to like Tony oh, yes. the pro yes. skater, Tony the pro skater soundtracks and shit. Um, Cause like, yeah, that was like what I was into like music wise when I was that young. Cause I've been, I've been skateboarding my whole life. Um, so obviously I was playing those video games too. And then uh, I think, I don't know, I don't know exactly what it was that made me want to play guitar, but it was like that kind of skate punk shit. And like, I remember like when I was that age too, I was like into like pop punk. I think my first uh, concert ever was good Charlotte newfound glory and less than that's awesome. Those were the days. 
was like 12. Um, but yeah, that was the stuff I was into then. And then, you know, went through, uh, as I was like nearing high school, went through what almost feels like an obligatory classic rock phase that every kid goes through then <laughs> where you find like the who and Jimi Hendrix. That was my second concert, the who. Um, and then, you know, from there you slowly progress in time. Yeah. <laughs> Iron Maiden, Metallica and shit Yeah. I like think that. that's kind of how it went for me. It was like blink 182. Um, the offspring yeah, of course. kiss Metallica, Iron mm-hmm. Maiden, Judas Priest, and then it kind of just takes off from there. Then it just spirals out of control, and then you're, then you're just Darth Vader, eventually completely on the dark side of everything, yeah, and making raw black metal. <laughs> yeah, and then you're just like you're googling um, Mayhem's uh, Dawn of Dawn the Black, black Hearts, Heart. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what is going on? And then your parents are like, you're like wanting the Cannibal Corpse two in the mutilated shirt, and you're like, it's all out of control now, <laughs> yeah, but um. It's- too far gone yeah he's there's no bringing him back but uh <laughs> yeah man that's awesome now like when you first started recording or writing and recording you never really had any previous projects before this is that what you said or you just couldn't find anybody in your area that was interested in doing something like this not heavy metal projects anyways um well actually anything i've ever really made was just a solo kind of deal um you know, I played with some friends in high school. I had a couple buddies that were like into somewhat similar kind of music. Um, and you know, we just jammed. I had a friend who played the drums and a friend who played bass, but like other than that, I never really played with people. Um, and then, yeah, you know, when I wanted to start this project, like I literally didn't know anybody around me who played music, let alone played music well enough or was interested in playing music you know, that's a black metal. So, um, it kind of just became like a, well, if I want to do this, I should probably do it myself. And like, you know, I knew my way around, uh, the music software well enough at that point. Um, it was actually mortician that kind of gave me the push to just do it myself because like, I can't fucking drum. I can't drum to save my life, but I can program them pretty good. And, uh, morticians just shameless use of the drum machine on some of their albums i was just like this is this is the motivation i need and then it was just a matter of like figuring out if i could do vocals and um which like yeah i never ever anticipated or even wanted to be a vocalist but um i mean it all yeah i don't know it all kind of came together and I don't know. I'm having a blast with it still. Was it intimidating at first to really dive into all of this? It wasn't intimidating to make the music. It was more intimidating to release it. Like, and even then I didn't really think anybody was going to listen to it. Like I was going to show it to my like three metal friends and see if they thought it was cool. And then I think I did, uh, I did 20 hand dubbed cassettes, like, printed off the J cards on my home printer. They looked horrible. I think I sold them for like four bucks a pop too. And, uh, they like people bought them and I was just blown away. I was like, this is, there's no way dude. They went in like two days or something. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm still kind of blown away. And by those it. were the first like Algol demos. Yeah. Those are the first, well, that was forgotten paths. There's, two tunes i did before that when i was still kind of figuring out what i was doing 
Um, one of them sounds like wish.com Belfagor. Um, <laughs> and then the other one is like wish.com dissection. Um, and I never released those. There's, there's actually three cassette tapes floating around in the world with those on them. I have one of them and I sent them to the first two people who ordered, uh, the hand up forgotten paths to like Europe. Cause I was like, Holy shit. If you're paying that much for shipping, like I need to give you something special to like make up for it. So those are the only, only demos that exist that are unreleased. But yeah, forgotten Paths was the first actual Algol release. Now the name Algol comes from like the HP Lovecraft side of things, right? It's like that monster. Well, so Algol, Algol is the name of a real life star. Okay. It's, nicknamed the demon star but i found it in a lovecraft story um beyond the wall of sleep i think is the one like i've got this big book and it's just all the lovecraft stories um in chronological order and i remember like coming across that when i was like looking for band names i was like man that's a cool band name and then uh did like the quick google search found a few other bands called algal so I stuck a silent H in the middle of mine and called it a day. <laughs> the crazy thing about like Lovecraft and Lovecraftian stories is like how synonymous it all is with like black metal. I don't know if you've seen Color Out of Space, the yeah. new one with uh, Nicolas Cage, but I haven't. There's no. a part where she's listening to ah, uh, what song is it? I can't remember, but yeah, it's like a Nicolas. I found out Nicolas Cage is a big black metal fan, by the way. Um, but his son's in a black metal band. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how he got into it, I think. But um, yeah, sure. Yeah, he's like the it's like a Lovecraftian movie, but like there's like mayhem in there and some other like black metal artists. But really? yeah, it's like it's great. The soundtrack of that movie is wild. Like it's a lot of like that's it's like extreme metal and stuff. But yeah, you'll have to watch it. It's a really cool horror movie. Okay, I'll have to watch that. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. I can't remember. There's like another part. She's like the daughter's like in the woods practicing magic, listening to. I think it's mayhem. That's I think it is. Yeah, I'll I'll hit you. I'll hit you up for the title. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, that's great. But yeah, why do you think Lovecraft in particular is so tied into like black metal? Do you think it's just because these crazy like stories are just so out there and so easy to write about, or do you think it's just kind of like the eeriness of it? I think it's probably both the eeriness of it, the fact that they're short. And most of them anyways, they're all, they're like short stories, you know, primarily. So it's easy to kind of dig into without having to have like a deep knowledge of the lore or anything. I mean, obviously, you know, having a greater knowledge of his works, I'm sure helps. I, I still haven't finished this fucking massive book I've got, but, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say more accessible than Lord of the Rings, but if you're going to go the Tolkien route, like, yeah, you got to be, you should have, you an should an avid reader. Yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> got to put in a lot of effort on that one. But yeah, man. So much. Yeah. So jumping ahead, we jump into the first full length, right? Which is the Osseous key. Yeah. Um, the beginning of a trilogy. Yes. Now let's start with the Osseous key. When did, that came out in 2021, right? So yeah. you recorded that, I'm assuming, in 2020. Yep. What was the process like in making sure that album came to fruition? And as you look back on that first record in this trilogy cycle, how do you look back on it right now? 
Um, well, so I only recently decided, or, well, I decided it was going to be a trilogy. Actually, yeah, I only recently decided that. Okay. I, like, uh, I had known that, you know, as I was writing Night Eternal, I knew that was going to be the sequel to the Osseous Key. But then I started thinking, I was like, how long can I drag this one storyline out for? Like, let's end this one with the next album wrap this shit up and let's start another storyline, but in the same kind of world, you know, um, everything I'm going to write is going to be story based and it's going to be set in the same world. And I don't know timelines. I don't know anything, the, any sort of like lore and shit is being built as I write it. So I don't know where this is going next, but, um, so yeah, I only decided it was a trilogy recently um and when i was writing the osseous key i had no idea there was going to be a sequel so it's it just kind of flows as i'm writing it um but i mean like as far as you know the writing and recording process um those are like super intertwined for me because i'm just i'm one person so i don't have to work with anybody else i can kind of record things on my own time and i kind of I write as I record because I don't have, you know, a band to jam with to like try and work sections out. I have to do it all myself. So I do it as I record parts, you know, I'll, I'll usually I'll build like, I'll start with like a riff or a drum beat and then build up like a big section from there, which usually winds up being like one of those sections that's got like the synth hook in it. And then, build out the rest of the song from that. It's usually like I build the biggest section of the song and then move out from there, which I think is probably like to do with uh, how I used to produce like electronic music. Um, and I also stick to like a lot of my songs stick to, you know, two or three main riffs. Um, and I think that's probably got something to do with that as well. Cause like, you know, electronic music is very repetitive Um and, you know, I, I don't know, I think with just little changes, you can make something minimal, but also like very large and interesting. Um, and I mean, so that's kind of what I try to do with all of that, um, you know, as far as the writing process goes. And then usually I'll write lyrics after I have the whole song, um, but I'll have like, like with the Osseous Key, that was the first one that was like a true concept album. Um, Forgotten Paths is probably like, uh, it's like that first King Diamond album where it's like kind of individual stories instead of one big story. So that one, like, uh, I mean, I was kind of like writing the story as I went. I I still wasn't sure how it was going to end, but like uh, Night Eternal, I had like kind of sketched out a map for and how it was going to progress and, you know, and then, you know, I'm, I'm starting to write that third record already. And I, I'm already like more in depth there than I have been with the other two records. So um, I don't know. It's just it's all evolving um, and becoming more streamlined. And I don't know. It's, it's progression, really. And that's like what I aim for with each release is to just try to make it a little bit better than the release before in some, you know, way, shape or form. So what was the overarching story that was all found on the Osseous Key? The Osseous Key, I guess, uh, it's, you got the main character who's like, basically speaks with Algol, the demon star, uh, basically just leads, uh, I don't know, it's like a kind of overthrows this king, 
steals the Osseus key, which is some mythical object supposed to unlock, you know, ancient knowledge and power and whatever. Um, and, you know, overthrows the kingdom, installs himself as a tyrant king. You know, that's the basic rundown of it. You, you should listen to the album and read the lyrics if you want to get into it better. Um, but yeah, that's the basic kind of story with that. Um, and well, and like with this main character, basically, you know, he just follows orders. He doesn't really know why or what he's doing. He just listens. <laughs> yeah. His master is the star and he does what he's told. Was it natural or did it feel natural to just incorporate the electronic or synth elements into this coming from that electronics background? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was never really too serious about the whole electronic music stuff. Like it was just like a fun thing I did for a little while. And you know, like I've, I've literally been working on various random projects for most of my life. Um, I just haven't really done much with them. But yeah, I mean, I, I knew I wanted some sort of synth element in it, just like even just from, you know, listening to like Thou Shalt Suffer, um, you know, uh, uh, some some of the like Norwegian early releases and stuff that had the synth work on it. Um, so yeah, I knew I wanted to do incorporate that into it and make it like, and because it's a one man project. And I don't really have too many plans of playing live, like maybe doing some one-off gigs here and there, but like certainly never touring or anything. So, you know, I'm not really limited by a band and what we can do live. I just wanted to create something that I thought was really cool. Um, so I don't know. The synth element definitely felt natural. Would you say that the foundation of everything with this project is like the riff? Uh, more or less. Yeah. The riff or the synth hook, those are like the driving forces there. Typically the riff though. Cause I mean, if you don't have a good riff, you got nothing, man. Yeah. You could, you could get, you can come up with atmosphere. Sure. But without the riff, like that for me, I'm not sold. If, if I don't, if, if I turn off a song and immediately it's out of my mind there's no 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 riff that i wind up humming later then it's like why am i going to come back to it you know yeah when do you know you have a good riff it, it, I, uh, once the song's done <laughs> once it all fits no, together no, no. once that first section is built once that first section is built then I know I have a good riff because sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes I think I have a good riff and then I lay down a drum track after that and I try to play the riff and I try to add a synth part or bass and it just like goes to hell. I'm like, no, this isn't going to work. Got to scrap it and try again. But once it comes together and that one piece is set and if I can sit there like and just listen to that like eight, 16 bar riff, whatever, for like five minutes straight and just be like, yeah, this is still cool. Like, I don't know. I just get a feeling and I'm like, yes, this is. Yeah. I think that's part of being, I don't know, like to be a good musician. And this is coming from somebody who has very little, I play a little bit of guitar, but I'm nowhere near as talented as some of the people I listen to, obviously. So I feel like to be a good musician or a person who knows how to put a song together, you have to be, a big fan of music too. Do Absolutely. you agree with that? Absolutely. 100%. Because you have to understand or like you just by your ear, like, you know, what sounds good and you know, what works and these songs that have already, you know, come before you in a way, right? Like, and you know, if you listen to at the heart of winter, you're like, Oh my God, like 
these riffs and like musically speaking, this is this is like superior to yeah. a lot of you know other stuff out there that was out there at the time in the genre. So I don't know. It just feels like once you you know what sounds good. Like if you're a musician, you know how to incorporate incorporate that into your own music. I think it even goes a little bit farther than that. I think it's what feels good because what, yeah. what sounds good is like is what helps you know you kind of figure out where to go next or what parts can work with other parts and like you you have the ear for it. But when it hits right and you're it's like that feeling where you're just like oh shit this is fucking sick like that, yeah that's the feeling we're all chasing that dragon <laughs> is the feeling similar to you know if you're on a, a road trip and you know is it i think it's the is it the cerebellum in your brain like that just turns on whenever you're on a you're driving and then like an hour goes by and you're like what just happened it was like a blur <laughs> and your brain just kind of takes over and like but you're still driving but you don't know what's going on outside of you so like your subconscious takes over is that kind of what it's like when you're writing music is like you're just messing around on the guitar and you're just fiddling around and somehow these riffs just pop up or do you just go into it thinking like i have to come up with a good riff right now oh no like 99 percent of the riffs that i write i write like end of the day sitting on the couch with my wife watching tv playing one of my guitars just completely unplugged too and i'm just dicking around for yeah an hour or two and if i come up with something good or I, that i think is good I will whip out my phone, put on the voice memo app and then just start recording. And I like, like I must have six or 700 terrible recordings on my phone of just riffs for reference. And if it's one that I really think is good, then I'll go to the notes app and write the number down. And of course I back my phone up and screenshot shit all the time. Just in case. Unlike Kirk Hammett. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I lost a phone not long ago and now I've got a situation like I got, I got most of it back, but like, it's a weird situation, but I have, I, I can still get to the riffs. Most of them are probably garbage. And like a lot of them are just like different versions of the same riff that I've like, Oh, here's the idea. Okay. Here's it played better. Here's it played a little better. Here's it played even better. Um, so yeah. like none of those are even close to a final form. But that's how I write 99% of my riffs. Um, unless I come up like, you know, sometimes uh, for a, a song, um, especially now that I'm doing more story based approach, I'll kind of know what the rough story is going to look like. And I'll know kind of what I want each song to sound like, or like I'll have an idea for it or something. And sometimes that manifests itself more in a drum beat than a riff. So it's like, you know, I'll program these drums and then I'll write a riff around the drums. Um, and usually I'll do that. Like I'll be plugged in at the studio, just jamming, messing around until I come up with something good enough. But um, most of the time it's the other way around. I write the riff and then the drums. But yeah. Do you feel it or find it to be more difficult that you have a story in mind that you're writing with? Or do you find it to be easier? I think it's easier. Um, just That's for interesting. Me, for me, a lot of people say the other um, way around. Yeah. Um, just for me, I, I like, I don't know. I, I've, I, I actually, I had, uh, did you ever listen to Panzer War? I did a, split with... yeah, we, we did a split a long time ago and he like dropped off the face of the earth, but, 
um, we had like a weird little side project we were going to try to do. And uh, I had, a, I, had, I was going to do vocals and write lyrics for it. And I had a tough time writing lyrics for it because I didn't really like have a purpose in mind. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Just like string together a bunch of morbid words, like some fucking black metal dragon force song. Like I, I don't know it, it, for some reason it flows easier for me if I have a story in mind. Um, and like, that's the thing I'll have like a vague storyline and then I'll write the song and then I'll try to write the lyrics and the lyrics will kind of like flesh the story out as I'm writing it. So like nothing, nothing is ever fully figured out until the album is sent to mastering. <laughs> Dude, that's interesting. I, I've heard, I've talked to a few different people. Most notably, I talked to um, Vikotnik from DHG earlier this year. And I was asking him, I was like, what is it like crafting these? I don't know. They're a very like cinematic band. Right. And he's like telling these stories, especially on black medium current, which is a phenomenal record. But he just said that sometimes he sometimes the story comes first and then he writes to it or the lyrics comes first and then he writes to that. Um, and then sometimes it's the other way around. And I think he's the only other person that said sometimes it makes it easier to have like a story in mind when you're writing music for it, because a lot yeah. of people wait till right after the music's all written and everything before they even consider where they want to take it thematically or lyrically. Yeah. I don't know why it works for me, but it does. And it, and it kind of, it, like especially like the record I'm writing right now, um, it's kind of, it's definitely helped me kind of figure out the sound of the record, and you know I I I go into it you know I don't necessarily I think I came up with the story I was like taking my son for a walk the other day just like pushing him in his stroller and like I like just started having these ideas I remember I like pulled out my phone and was like voice recording the stupid story just in case I forget it. Um, but yeah, so it, it comes random times. I'll, you know, I'm always kind of thinking about it, but then I also have a whole bunch of ideas I want to try out musically, just kind of based on the stuff that I'm listening to at the moment. And like, you know, just to see how I can work in these other ideas that I have. Um, Cause I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still just doing this shit for myself. Like yeah. I'm trying to write shit that I want to listen to. And, you know, I was always drawn to like, like, I love King Diamond, dude. I love the storytelling. That was part of like why I'm into Jimmy Buffett too, dude. He's rest a storyteller. Fucking rest in peace. <laughs> God. I, I hear they're opening a Margaritaville in Boston pretty soon. So I'm going to have to make a pilgrimage and just get oh, awesome, hammered. Slam down some margaritas. But uh, We used to have one here yeah, in the Midwest, I think. I'm sure you guys still do. We had man. a cheeseburger in paradise. Uh, oh, I missed the thing. Didn't he, yeah, didn't he own that? I'm sure he did. I think he owned There's no way he didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was probably, yeah, Margaritaville spinoff or something. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, we, we can't like, get on a Jimmy well, Buffett tangent. Yeah, no, we can't. Not on this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like that like country music too i've been listening to a lot of like country and bluegrass and like a good country or bluegrass musician is a good storyteller um and then you know like i love like ghoul too ghoul is probably one of my favorite bands they not only do the kind of like storytelling thing over the course of an album but also like the world building thing where they have all these characters so like that was always something that i wanted to incorporate and do like even like back in the classic rock days, like listening to uh, 
like the who like tommy or quadrophenia and shit not that stuff was so cool like being able to kind of immerse yourself in something more and then like you know to kind of even more build on like the jimmy buffett thing like the escapism that's huge for me and the whole storytelling thing you know i want to create something that someone can put on and just like immerse themselves in and just tune out the real world for 40 minutes take a quick break and then come back to it later, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, man. Yeah. That's the whole storytelling aspect of it all is I'm always interested to hear how people either write around that or how the music influences them. But yeah, dude, that's, that's really interesting. Um, well, and it's like, just like, I've always preferred to listen to an album as a whole. Yeah. So me that's too. how I write an album. Like I want it to be, a cohesive piece of work like i don't want it to sound like a collection of singles yeah for sure now moving forward to night eternal um guessing you started recording that late last year early this year finished it all up came out in yeah. july you know looking back on that what are some of the main differences bef- between the osseous key and night eternal when it comes to how you approached putting it all together obviously they're kind of intertwined but was there anything you did differently or anything you incorporated on this new record that you didn't on the Osseous key? Um, basically, I, I mean, I think it's just the production's a little bit cleaner. I had it professionally mastered too by uh, Dan Randall of Mammoth Sound Mastering, who's a fucking legend, absolutely killed it, and also used to be, you know, in one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, but he, uh, I mean... Yeah, I think the production's a step up. I think the riffs are a step up. I tried to incorporate more like kind of dissection-esque guitar work into it. Um, I I mean, basically, I was just trying to one-up the Osseous key. And I think I pulled it off. I feel like I did anyways. So, I mean, yeah, I I had one of my friends tell me it sounds like a more mature version of the Osseous key, which I thought was pretty cool. But... Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what I said in the Instagram post that announced it, but like (laughs) spookier or sicker riffs, spookier synths and, you know, the story, I don't remember exactly, more, more graphic drug abuse and violence and disregard for human life than before. So just tried to up the stakes and I'm going to try to do it again with this next record. That's basically the goal. Um, this one, this one, I definitely took like a different kind of, uh, took it, took the story to a different place than black metal is used to (laughs) went to the tingle and whatnot, but yeah, just even from that first intro and that first riff, it's just, like you said, it just hooks you in and it's such a, a hooky moment on the record that I think, I mean, when I was scrolling through Bandcamp and like, I listened to it for the first time, like that was the immediate moment. I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be sick. Like immediately from the first like sounds and the first soundscapes and then how that blends into the riff and then you listen to the whole thing and you know it's kind of split into the first uh four songs and the second four songs um kind of split like one and two side a side b just like your your king diamond uh that you're heavily influenced by but um yeah for anybody that hasn't checked this out yet man you have to give it a listen if you're into and I think you told me this before. It's like Cannibal Corpse meets um, 
what did you say? It was like Cannibal oh. Corpse meets. Oh. Yeah, no, the the second track, Noxious Opulence. The inspiration was yeah, Cannibal Corpse meets Motley Crue. It's like if Mickey Six was a character in a Motley Crue to- tune, like or no, sorry, for Nick Nikki Six is a character in a Cannibal Corpse song. Like okay, maybe that's what you said. Yeah, yeah, but it's all over the place. It's definitely one of those records you have to sit back, immerse yourself in. Read the lyrics. Super fun record. How is this one the natural progression story-wise from the Osseous Key? I don't even know if it was like natural progression. I, I don't even remember when I decided it was going to be a sequel. Because um, this, this one I kind of wrote like I did the Osseous Key. Um, where it was just kind of like off the hip, you know? Like I figured it out as I was going. Um, this third album is definitely more this is the most planning I've done for any sort of album. I haven't even recorded a note and I've got a whole bunch planned already, but yeah, with night eternal, I mean, I, I wrote the witch doctor first, like dude, based off of this tiki mug, right? Like I was just getting into like mixing tiki drinks and collecting tiki mugs. And I was like, dude, I should make a witch doctor character. So I wrote that song and then the rest of the album kind of just fell in line around it. I don't even really remember like the, order that i wrote the songs in or anything because usually it's not like one two three four you know it's all out of whack um i mean i think with like the osseous key i wrote the first song and then the last song and then i wrote everything in between um so yeah i don't i don't know if it's even like i I mean i guess it is natural because it just kind of happened i didn't i didn't force it or anything i just decided one day whenever i was thinking about the album that it was going to become a sequel or and then you know the same way i decided that this whole thing was going to become a trilogy yeah it it just kind of happens you know yeah without giving too much away and making people go read the lyrics along to the the record what are some of the cliff notes of where this demon star kind of goes the demon star fucking algal is basically just like this spectral uh or no not not spectral, astral. That's the word I'm looking for. Astral force. Uh, kind of like pulling the strings in the world that the stories are set to kind of like get people to do its bidding, if you will. And like that's that's the whole thing about the main character I have going right now. I don't even have a name for him. I just think of him as like the protagonist. Maybe that's his name. Who knows? But, uh, you know, he gets these visions from the demon star and carries out whatever orders in return for this life of excess and sin, um, and semi, you know, immortality, like, like a fucking elf in token. He can die if he's killed, but otherwise he won't die. Um, won't die from drinking too much. Won't die from the drugs. He's got, he's got to get a fucking knife through the skull or something. We'll, we'll find out in the next record, maybe. It's hard to say. Um, but yeah, so it's just kind of like, well, and that's kind of how I plan to continue things after this trilogy ends, is it's all going to be set in the same world, and Algal, the demon star, is always going to be pulling strings, trying to figure something out uh, and do its own bidding, which we aren't sure what it, that means or what it is, but... Yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> I'm still figuring it out. I don't have the answers. <laughs> when you look back on Night Eternal in its entirety, what do you think you're most proud of? Oh, geez. Uh, definitely the like King Diamond clean scream on What Lies Within. That took so many takes and so many beers. And like, I'm, I've got even more respect for King Diamond than I did before, which I don't know how that's possible. And just anybody who can do clean vocals in general, because that shit is not easy to hit the right pitch, you know? Yeah. I'm not going to say I did a good job by any means, but I'm pretty stoked on it. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really stoked on all the guitar harmonies that I pulled off in this one. Um, I feel like I gave the guitar work a little bit more of a presence in this album, which was one of my goals. And then the synth hooks, I think are really cool too. Um, I mean, what's another particular moment? Oh, the piano intro. I also can't play piano. I just program that shit, but <laughs> it sounds pretty good, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It so, sounds, yeah. yeah, dude, it sounds uh, like at parts. I think you just like with this one in particular, it's just, and I said this to you before, like it feels almost cinematic and I know you don't really, really take a lot of inspiration from, you know, movies or anything, but it really does. And I know there's an overarching story and stuff like that, but it really does feel like this journey. And then you can tell side A and side B when that journey kind of flips over where it climaxes. And then when things kind of like, there's like these peaks and valleys of the record that really you can tell, tell a story. Um, even when you're not reading along with the lyrics. So you did a very good job in the construction of this album. It feels, it flows very well, man. So yeah. Was it hard narrowing it down to how you wanted the track listing to flow or was that something that you just kind of came organically? That's again, just something that kind of like happens. Um, you know, like as I, as I kind of like close the track list out, um, it kind of start it, it like becomes more clear what the tracks in between need to be or sound like as I kind of develop the story, but it just, everything kind of just develops at once. Like I, like, I mean, especially on these first two records, this third one's going to be a little different, I think. And I, I, and I think it's going to turn out some better results. Um, but I mean, the first two are definitely a little more chaotic and uh, they came together a lot more spontaneously, I think. Um, and I think there's still going to be plenty of that in this new record, but it was definitely like, I didn't have a roadmap going into either of those, like the Aussie's key or night eternal. So it just, yeah, it just kind of came together, man. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. So when are we looking at, obviously this is a dumb question because the newest record just came out a little more than a month ago, but when would you like to, you know, finish up this trilogy? Uh, I'm hoping within, uh, I don't know. I'd say probably a year, year and a half. I don't like yeah. to rush anything. I like to make sure I take my time um, and, you know, make sure it's something I'm like really proud of and really stoked on before I'm willing to put it out. Um and also, you know, I like to give each release time to breathe and I like to have, you know, because my goal with all of them is to have people come back time and time again and hopefully pick up something new on each listen through, whether like, you know, you find something new in the lyrics that clicks with you. Like, it's like when, like, I mean, 
like you were saying cinematically like um you when you watch your favorite movie over and over again you still pick shit up you know pick up new things you haven't seen before i think i've watched like Shaun of the dead like seven thousand times in my lifetime and you know it's one of those things where you could like still pick up little tiny details even after all that so yeah i don't know i i like to give it time to breathe too because I, I mean there's also like you know there's some bands that can just churn shit out non-stop and it's like it's admirable, but also like, I feel like you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot sometimes. Like you want to give each release time to fucking really pop and then, you know, get in everyone's mind. And, you know, you also don't want to overwhelm everybody and be like, Oh cool. Here's a new release every three months. Like, yeah, it's, um, you got to keep the people wanting more, right? Yeah, well, and you want what you put out to actually, like, mean something. You don't want to, like, water it down either, you know. I'm not, you know, you could churn out 47 tracks a month if you want to, but, like, they're all going to sound the same. They're not going to represent any kind of growth or progression or anything like that. So, I mean, yeah, that's my whole thing. I want everybody, like really enjoy the experience of going through these tracks um so yeah I, I try to put as much time into it as i can um but i mean obviously there is kind of that like pressure to be like oh come on let's stay relevant yeah. you know you start getting excited to put something new out and fresh yeah yeah i was really itching when i had finished this album just like when like the final pieces were being put into place and i was like fuck dude i just want to get this out like now i gotta do promo for three months God. <laughs> yeah man it's um it's a great record i hope people continue to purchase it on Bandcamp and check it out whenever they scroll by it but yeah now would be a good time for us to you know plug the merchandise and everything that's out there right now you just came out with the tapes yeah, there's is I don't think there's any vinyl left. Is there on your the bank? Vinyl, account? The vinyl's gone, although there'll be uh, some distro through Phantom Lore and Iron Bonehead in Europe. Uh, but there's not going to be anything in the U.S. I basically handled all the U.S. distro by myself. Um, so, yeah, the vinyl is pretty much gone. Um, I self-released the tapes and CDs. I got those just piled in my closet. So buy one <laughs> you said that the cassettes in particular sounded amazing right dude they, they look amazing really good yeah i mean dan did masters for you know vinyl cd and tape and then you know digital um but yeah i'm so stoked on them like they look cool they sound great cds are really cool too like i'm not like really a big cd person i definitely collect tapes and vinyl um but like we went all out on the CDs too. They got like a slip case and like you flip them over and like in that little middle part, there's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Right that was sick. To the CD. There's like the Algol logo. It's, it's crazy, man. Yeah, for sure. Go check it out on Algol's Bandcamp. pick up either the CD or the tape. They both look amazing. Listen to the record too. Absolutely amazing. And make sure you support Algol because uh, we do need that third record and we got to keep them coming back for more. It's going to come anyways. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a matter of how cool the next pressings are going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So night eternal out right now, 
go pick it up on Bandcamp, as I've said now 30 times. If that doesn't tell you how good of a record this is, that I just don't love the sound of my voice. So I'm telling you for sure, go pick it up. But uh, before I let you go, Pete, and again, thanks so much for doing this, man. Two quick fire questions. Number one, favorite movie. Oh, geez, dude. I don't know. Uh, it's Shaun of the Dead, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shaun of the Dead. For Number sure. two. Number two, favorite Jimmy Buffett song. Favorite Jimmy Buffett song, Pirate Looks at 40. I'll also, uh, man, Trying to Reason with Hurricane Season is a jam too. So is Banana Republics. But also, uh, oh, dude, I could go on for, I, we could do a whole episode on my favorite Jimmy. I have a playlist if anyone, if anyone wants it, hit me up on Instagram. I've got like a three plus hour playlist of all the Jimmy Buffett deep cuts good stuff that early stuff oh my god man. i just came up with a genius idea you know how <laughs> spider god does the like the beatles and the black renditions dude i'm already on that. I, I, i've except it's not going to be just a straight margaritaville cover it'll be margaritaville Ooh. and i'm gonna have to change the words a little bit but i'll tell you about it in private let's go let's go <laughs> That'll, that that and I got to get my Jimmy Buffett tattoo now. I got to I got I'm going to have to like rush that now, you know. I was going to get it. We my brother and my uh dad and I have all been talking about it, but now that he's he died, we just got to move it up. We got to do it now, man. Now's the perfect time. <laughs> anyway, Pete, thanks again for doing this, man. The new Algol record Night Eternal is out right now. Phenomenal record as I've said. Go pick it up. Pete, thanks again, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Hope you enjoyed that interview with the man behind Algol, Pete. Such a phenomenal interview and such a phenomenal record. Night Eternal is out right now. Don't forget to use the promo code CATACOMBS15 at his band camp for a discount on Algol merch. But as always, I do want to give my recommendation of the week before we go and wrap this episode up. And this week... My recommendation of the week is the mighty VHS's The Fighting Eagle off of their latest record, Quest for the Mighty Riff. Go check that out. Another Canadian death metal band. You heard another one at the top of the episode with Cryptopsy. So yeah, give this band a chance. They are phenomenal. And check them out again. It's VHS with The Fighting Eagle off of their new record, Quest for the Mighty Riff, on Wise Blood Records. And lo, the kingdom of the spider shall last 1,000 years, and the people shall suffer 1,000 years, for it is written. And this time shall be known as the Age of Darkness, for the shadow of the spider shall be the law.
blood rattle will cast light upon the darkness. That was VHS with the Fighting Eagle off their new record, Quest for the Mighty Riff. But I do think it's time to wrap this episode up now, friends. Don't forget to follow me on the socials I gave you at the top of the episode. Leave a five-star review if you dig the show, and follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so you get the episodes right when they drop. But until next time, we'll see you right here in the catacombs.